I have some good news I want to share with you about a Christian college professor. I want to tell you something that people on my side, uh, that they do, that gets on my nerves. But I think we should start with a rundown of this Georgia election law on this week's Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be Because of where we are on the calendar, I've been opening the show with thoughts of a spiritual nature, a biblical nature as of late, going into Palm Sunday, Holy Week, and we're not out of the major part of the church calendar yet. We will revisit Pentecost as that comes up upon us, and, and always we want to come from a biblical perspective, but we will revisit the world of culture and news this week, and specifically this Georgia law here in a second. I have a lot I want to do on the show, so I want to get uh, dive. I want to dive in quickly on content. But first, as always, my name is Corey Truax. Amongst other things, I get to serve as the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets in Greenville on Sunday morning at 10:30. You are invited. You can also find the last four sermons in our Gospel of Mark series out there on my podcast feed and all of the sermon content from Beachwood Church. Just look for Beachwood on any of your podcasting apps, and you will find that content there. We are dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk about everything here on the Corey Truax Show on WHRT 89.7 and 91.9. Glad to have you with us. Let's get going quickly. I, at heart, am a performer. I think in another world, some kind of onstage acting or if I could dance at all, I'd love to do music, musical theater. I, 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 like, I like performance. I've made an adult life out of my ability to say things in an entertaining and a compelling way. I've I've often said, like even in job interview settings, like what are your what are those skills that set you apart from others? I would say I make complex things simple, and I make mundane things interesting. These these are the skills God gave me. Didn't give me a ton of them, but He gave me those skills. I can take really complicated stuff and make it understandable to just about anybody. I can take stuff that's super boring and find a way to connect to whatever the audience is, whoever it is. I think that's one of the reasons why you are here, why you are here. I want to do that best I can with this Georgia law, but I, I don't, hey, don't turn off your radio if you're listening on WHRT. Don't switch to a new podcast when I say this. But I think we need to do this really factually. And I'm going to try my best to turn off the, the things that make the show interesting. I want to go straight fact here. I don't want any of my emotions to come out of this because I have, a, I have opinions I'm going to give you, but I want to build them on the facts. We have really bombastic, hysterical language being used about a voter law in Georgia. And so I want to equip you with some facts. So here's the interest in doing this. I have three reasons I want to do this. One, the truth is always important. It is important that we know facts and truth about what's going on in the world around us, not a, an agenda from any media organization, not someone else's perspective. For that matter, my perspective doesn't really matter. Whatever the truth is, that's what matters. So number one reason I want to do this is so that we can actually just have some ground on which to have discussions. You can't have a discussion with somebody if you don't even agree on the facts. So I want to give you the facts. We need truth. Number two, 
there's a cultural trend coming out of this. You'll see it with the with Major League Baseball, and you will see it with Delta. Uh, you see it with Coca-Cola. A cultural trend that I mentioned once on the show before, as wokeism grows as a cultic religious movement in the United States, its significance, I think there's something bigger behind that. I want to talk about it. And also this. I actually do want to bring down the temperature of conversations. There is a lot of anger, fear, and uh, overreaction, bombast about this bill. And so if I can give you the truth and expose something deeper going on behind the scenes and give you the ability to just bring down the temperature if you talk about this online or in person, I think this will be worth doing. So here we go. I pulled up the law itself. It was a little too long for me to read. I'm busy. And so I, I did read about the first 20 pages. And then I went and got the New York Times summary. I went to the New York Times summary because I wanted a summary that would not be friendly to people who would defend the law. The New York Times is going to be against the law. So I wanted to get their skeptical take on it. And so here we go. I'm not going to cover all the things in the law, but I am going to cover the ones that have, I think, some significance. And here's all I want to do. I'm going to give you some commentary as we go. But I want you to do away with any preconceived notion. For that matter, throw out your ideology. Like, I'm a highly ideological person. I am deeply capitalist, deeply conservative, come from a biblical worldview. I'm just going to read some things the bill does. And outside of your worldview, ask yourself, is that, an, is that a good policy? Is it an okay policy? So here we go. Number one, the bill decreases the time someone can request an absentee ballot. It was 180 days outside out of an election. Now it's about 80 days. Uh, I think it's 78 exactly. And then it has to be before 11 days before the election. So in the window of 11 days for the election, 78 days for the election, that's now when absentee ballot balloting can happen. They they shrank the time by about, I guess it's about two-thirds. So just asking the question, is that enough time to get an absentee ballot? Is that a bad policy? Is it outside of other states around the country? If you look, it's quite normal. Go find some states all around the country. That's about right. A 60-ish day period, two months before the election. And there's a cutoff, like you, you can't vote absentee Right, the day before the election or the weekend before the election in a lot of states, you've you got to get it done. And now in Georgia, 11 days before the election happens. And if you don't get your absentee ballot done 11 days before the election, well then, you got to vote in person. We'll talk about that later. So there's one. They restricted it. It's still about, what, what's 78 minus 11? That's 67. There's still two months, over two months, to apply and then to vote with an absentee ballot. That's what you have in Georgia. Two months to do it. Next, if you're going to vote absentee or through the mail absentee, you have to provide an ID number. This is, I'm not, I'm not giving you my opinion. Let's just ask you, is that good or not? Is it good that someone would need to provide identification either an ID itself or ID numbers to match, that they have their driver's license ID, some information about themselves, not just signature matching like we just did 
in a broad way in the last election, not just doing signatures but matching more information, is that good or not? Now, you can decide if that's good or not. I argue yes. I think in the United States, no one should be voting without an ID. We require ID for so much. Substances, alcohol, cigarettes, all government benefits. You can't get food stamps, Section 8 housing, uh, unemployment, unless you are providing an ID. You can't open a bank account in the United States without an ID. To get a mortgage, to apply for a mortgage, to uh, apply to start renting an apartment. I actually was looking at apartments recently, and to go take a tour, just to look around, I had to show them my ID. They took it from me while I went around. Went around to look at those things. If you're going to get a marriage license, you first have to show some kind of other ID. There are some pet adoptions even. Not all, obviously, but some pet adoptions are going to require an ID. We, we require ID to do things. And voting is really important. I, I would argue if it's important enough for government benefits, alcohol, and a bank account, it's important enough for voting. And I think it's good. It's also not, by the way, this is very important because this law is being reacted to so vociferously. It's also not out of the ordinary in the South. We have a lot of voter ID laws. In South Carolina, you can't vote without an ID. Georgia's just joined a bunch of other states that already do require an ID, at least in this case, not in all voting for Georgia, but absentee ballot, you got to have an ID if you're going to vote. You can just ask yourself, is that good or not? I would say at least two things. I would say, yes, I think it's good. And two, it's certainly not radical. It's already happening at a lot of places around the country. And we, we require ID to do a lot of things. And so, therefore, it's not a radical idea to require one. Number three, it bans, the law bans bl blanket mailing out of applications for absentee balloting. This happened because of COVID. In COVID, the Secretary of State in Georgia and lots of other states with no one requesting an absentee ballot, an application for one just showed up at their house. And then you can just decide. Is it good or not that the, that can't happen? I think both positions are reasonable. I don't think anyone is unreasonable for landing on either one of those sides. I also don't think it's radical. It's not a radical thing because, guys, we only did it one time. It's not like some long-standing right or privilege is being revoked. One time during a pandemic, everybody got an application for an absentee ballot. Pandemic is coming to a close. We're not going to ha have one of those for the rest of time. And so the, the idea there is go back to the normal thing. My argument would be everyone is responsible for themselves. If for some reason you need to vote absentee, you need to go do that. You need to go online. You need to order it. You're capable. You're an adult. You don't need anybody else. You take care of your need to absentee ballot. We don't need ballots showing up or, or, or applications for absentee ballots showing up at everyone's house. I think both sides of that are reasonable. Neither side is radical. It's not a radical thing to say that. Number four, they restricted drop boxes. and So drop boxes to put in mail-in ballots and applications for absentee ballots and restricted, have few, will have few or almost no, mobile voting centers, so like RVs that can drive to different parts of the state, and you can vote in those RVs. You can ask yourself, 
Is that good or bad? Is that a good policy or bad policy? I, I like the policy personally in that I, I don't like the idea of the drop box. The, I know this also, I know this sounds like me being sarcastic, and I'm trying not to do that too much. I hope I'm keeping that tone even. But we all do have a drop box. I have one about a quarter mile from my house right now because I my housing complex subdivision has a mail house. There's a drop box right there. If I need to put things in the mail for voting purposes, I can just go put it in there. A lot of people have drop boxes outside their house. They tend to be black. They have a red flag thing on them, and they can just put the red flag thing up. We can, we can restrict. This is, again, that was a brand new thing. We did it one time for a pandemic, and now we're going back to normal for elections. We don't, we, we never needed them before. Again, one, one of my goals here, I told you, is I want to get you the truth. What are the facts? You can decide if you like the policies or not. And one of them was just bringing down the temperature. It's not radical to have fewer drop boxes. It's not radical to have fewer mobile voting centers. Here's one of the reasons it's not radical. So they restrict the amount of time for absentee balloting. That's still 60 days long. There's still two months in a week. There's 67 days to get it done. And yeah, they restrict those methods of voting whereby you put it in a drop box or go to a mobile voting center, but they also expanded the number of days to vote in person. They actually made it easier. Listen to me. This is true. This is not my opinion. They made it easier to vote in person. It's now harder to vote absentee and easier to vote in person. You can decide if that's good or not. I think both sides of that are reasonable. I think it's good to have people vote in person. I think it's the most secure way. I, I utterly reject in totality any argument against the last election not being secure. It was a secure election. We got legit results. There's some questions about whether or not the right people made the right decisions if they had the authority to do it in some states, but we have a, we have a secure election system. I reject those arguments. I think they're bad arguments about the last election. Nevertheless, you, you can still make a good thing better and say that the best way to vote, the most secure way to vote, is show up. And Georgia did that. They mandated these extra, I think it's 10 days, the extra 10 days of early voting. But it's not early voting absentee, it's early voting in person. So you can even show up and vote in person the day before the election, the Friday before the election, the Saturday before the election, in some places the Sunday before the election, and stretch that time out. They mandated that those be available at county offices for 9 to 5, at least 9 to 5, and then said you have the authority locally to stretch it from 7 to 7. So you can go 9 to 5 some days or 7 to 7 some days. And so for the people that are really concerned that people can't vote, they're not going to have enough opportunity, they've got the 67 days for absentee, and now almost two weeks before election day to do it in person, 9 to 5, 7 to 7 during the week, and then they added a Saturday for early voting. So if that person is working 9 to 5 every day and they live in a place that decided not to go 7 to 7, all right, well, now we got that Saturday to go do that. There was the absentee option. So many options to go vote, and you can decide. And by the way, they, they didn't affect Sundays at all, so there's still some Sunday voting. You can decide if you think that's good or not, but here's the fact. They made it harder to vote 
not in person, and easier to vote in person. Here's one that got a lot of attention. They say that they banned people giving out food and water in line. It's not totally true. Here's the facts. That doesn't apply to poll workers. Neutral people, people that are just working the polls, they can give out water and food if they want to. It's also 150 feet. So if you want to set up a, a food truck in a parking lot, 150 feet from where the, the entrance is to that polling place, give out free water and give out a sandwich and say, hey, it looks like that line's going to be two hours long. Here's a sandwich and some water. You can still do that. You just can't do it within 150 feet. And the reason for that, I think, is reasonable. It's, we don't want electioneering happening. We don't want campaigning happening. There's some evidence of that in Georgia, that people show up to vote tend to be for the top of the ticket. They're there to show up for, and this is around the country, you show up to vote for president, senator, and governor. But there's a lot of smaller races on those ballots too. And so people then giving out branded bottles of water, doing some electioneering while in line. And we don't, we don't want that. I don't want that. There's a, there's a reason we try to protect the integrity of the spot where you vote. And so the poll workers can still give out water, and water and food can happen, just not in line. It has to be 150 feet from where it takes place. And if you're, very, very, if you're a person who's very concerned about that, well, let me encourage you. Figure that out. For 150 feet from where, that's, from, from where the entrance is, that's not far. Set up a table. Have some stuff ready. No one's stopping you to serve people who have to wait in line. Then there are some parts that maybe people like me, we don't like. They, they changed the state election board to have the chairman be someone the legislature chooses. So the chairman of the state election board in Georgia was the secretary of state. Whoever the secret, secretary of state is heads the election board. That's not going to be the case anymore. It will be a, I, I don't know what else to call that except a political appointee. Someone the legislature chooses. I don't like that. I like the Secretary of State being ahead of that. The people choose the Secretary of State through an election in Georgia. I would rather whoever that person is be in charge of that board. But either one is, is reasonable. I don't like it. It's also not radical. Again, it's something that happens in other states. It's one of the ways to handle elections. And then here's another one I don't like, but it's, it's, it's reasonable. It gives more power to state legislatures over the locality so that the state legislature can take over a locality in an election. I don't like that. I think it's a, I think it's a bad idea. I am consistent in that I, I believe that the government that's closest to you is the best one. And so the counties and the cities that run elections, I want them running elections, and I don't want any state to be able to go in and take that over. Now, I'm consistent on that. Let's take a second here and recognize folks on the left are not consistent on that. At the same time they're pushing H.R. 1 in the House of Representatives, they're trying to federalize elections. They want elections from um, all across the fruited plain to be handled by Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. bureaucrats run elections in Easley, South Carolina, and Bozeman, Montana. I'm, I'm just picking random places. Those same exact people are very upset that you would take an election out of a city and give it to a state. Because they don't have any consistency. The left tends to be about power. But I'm, I'm very consistent here. We should leave elections to the most local place we can. And so I don't like that part of the law. I, I get their argument. I think it's reasonable. But it's still not a part that I like. 
And then finally, Georgia brought themselves into normality with the um, amount of time you have for a runoff election. Because in South Carolina, we have runoffs almost every time there's more than two candidates for a race. But our runoffs are two weeks later. And Georgia's going to do that now. Because right now, it's like six weeks between the elections. Maybe more than that. It just drags on. And so it's, it's better uh, to get that done in two weeks. And again, that's the normal thing nationwide. Now, th- that's the bill. Those are the facts. When we come back, I want to talk about the reaction. Because the reaction has not matched the facts. And then we'll move on to other news. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. segment to not do bombastic or charismatic things and just give you some facts and help so that you can decide. I also gave you my opinion on those things, but there there are the facts of the Georgia election law, and now I want to get into some of the reaction. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show on WHRT 89.7, 91.9, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me. You will find me there because there is only me. I'm the only one with my name. I'm much like Tigger of Winnie the Pooh in that way. You can also find me at CoreyTruax.com, CoreyTruax.com, where you can also find recent sermons from Beachwood Church as well. Those are the facts I gave you from, from Georgia. That's the new election law. I gave you that because I want you to know the truth. You can decide what you want to do with the facts of the law. It's not radical. It's quite normal. Brings Georgia into, into line with a lot of other states. Not, we're not talking about radical changes to their system. I am part bring those to you because one of my interests here is to bring the temperature down about this bill. So I want to play for you now a clip from the President of the United States, and let me say something nice about him really quickly. He has done a decent job in these first three months of this of not giving in to leftist predations. One of the arguments for him was supposed to be that he wouldn't be like the last guy who was overly, uh, who, who ratcheted everything up all the time. He made everything way more intense than it had to be. That was one of the, my problems with the last guy, is everything had to be 10 or 0. Everything was terrible, everything was awesome, there's no nuance anywhere, there's, it was really unhealthy, it was unhealthy for the country. Having the temperature brought down is a good thing. In part because when you call things that aren't radical, radical, when actual radical things come up, you don't have any language left. So I want to play for you from the President of the United States. On an, uh, he did an interview with ESPN, the sports network, talking about the Georgia law. And I want you to hear what he says. What do you think about the possibility that baseball decides to move their all-star game out of Atlanta because of this political issue? I think today's professional athletes are acting incredibly responsibly. I would strongly support them doing that. People look to them. They're leaders. Look at what's happened with the NBA as well. This is Jim Crow on steroids, what they're doing in in Georgia. I know know my heart here, and I want to try to hold hold it in place. That's really despicable. That's a really despicable thing to say. Do you, do you know what Jim, Jim Crow laws are? Different lunch counters? 
different water fountains, different bathrooms, an entirely different criminal justice system. That's what governments in the South did with Jim Crow laws. There's a lot of suffering under those laws. And the thing that I, I went 20 minutes, like 20 minutes of going through that bill, was any of that a Jim Crow law? Expanded access in the, in, for in-person voting. Restricted access to mail-in voting. That's a Jim Crow law. That doesn't bring down the temperature. That's the kind of stuff that I thought we were moving on from by installing a head of the executive branch who wouldn't say really outlandish things. It's not accurate. It's also not moral to say such a thing. It makes someone who would call it Jim Crow on steroids. Get that language. Not that it's like Jim Crow. He says it's worse than Jim Crow. Jim Crow on steroids. It's irresponsible. It's inaccurate. It's immoral. And it should also be insulting. I'm going to just speak here from the heart here. And if I know I have some left of center listeners. And even if you were right of center and you can explain this to me, I am asking this as a sincere question. I don't understand why it seems on the left there is a paternalistic, demeaning attitude towards black Americans regarding voting. One of the key parts of the Jim Crow, the Jim Crow laws, is they very literally mean if you are black, these are the laws, and if you're white, these are the laws. Two separate sets of laws. This Georgia law applies to you no matter your ethnic background. It applies to everyone equally. And so I am confused by the argument, well, this is going to affect black people in particularly. That's, and that's what J- Joe Biden is saying there. It's what the left is generally saying. Wait, why? Why are you under the impression black Americans are going to struggle to get IDs to vote absentee? I think there's a very good argument that folks opposite me make about access because people got jobs and they don't have flexible schedules when you have lower income and unfortunately because of a lot of history lower income places skew towards ethnic minorities and so in-person voting expansion should help that 67 days of absentee availability should help that those those that are working hard and just can't get to vote on an election day or the weekend before, there's still all kinds of options. And there seems to be this idea that there's just ethnic minorities that can't handle it. And it feels so demeaning, insulting. And I'm asking that sincerely. Why isn't that demeaning and insulting? To say to someone else who doesn't look like you has a different ethnicity and think they can't achieve something that you can blows my mind. There, the, part of my interest here was giving you the truth and the facts. You can decide on the facts. I want to bring down the temperature, do the opposite of what Joe Biden did there. And then here's that final part. We're starting to see that, that new strategy on the left. And I'm going to take that a little further. A, little, a strategy of wokeism. Because again, there's a lot of categories here. There's liberalism, people I just generally disagree with, but we have similar worldviews. 
uh, uh, then there's leftism. We're getting further away from worldview, uh, worldview syncrasy. That's the word I'm looking for. And then there is the cult, the woke cult. The woke cult applied pressure to Coca-Cola, Delta, to make statements about the law. The MLB moving their all-star game. One thing I am just genuinely concerned about is how leftist wokeism is going to be able to institute its agenda without ever needing to win any elections. They just, they, they have built enough of an online steam that businesses and companies are terrified about them. And so they acquiesce to them and give them what they want. So without even needing government power, they can just do it through the corporations. I, went, I had a whole episode about that here recently. Things like Amazon taking books down. Now this. Things like the MLB taking a game out of Georgia. And that, that is the, the story behind the story to, to monitor. You know, I've said many times on the show, it's been a while, so I'll say it again. I love the Eleanor Roosevelt quote that it's small minds that talk about people and medium minds that talk about events, but the big minds talk about ideas. The event can be the MLB taking the game out of Georgia. The event can be Coca-Cola, which is based in Atlanta, and Delta, which is based in Atlanta, making statements. But what is the idea behind it? And that is there's a growing leftist, wokest influence that's dominating the culture in a lot of ways. I'm going to make one more uh, quick point here, and then we're going to take a break, come back, and do a lot of news. You see how important this kind of stuff is? It's important to know the truth about a law. It's important that we don't ratchet up tensions when there doesn't have to be. It's important that we see a movement that's causing the events in the people. And in that vein, I want to call out my own people for a second. I saw way too much conservative media making fun of Jill Biden here recently for misspeaking something in Spanish. She said... Uh, she's trying to give a speech, and she was trying to say the si se puede thing, the yes we can, and she said something like si se puadre or something. And it becomes this big conservative meme to make fun of her and make a big deal about it on, on Twitter. Gentlemen and ladies of the right, these are the things that we've got to stop doing. It hurts credibility. Let, let stuff just be, let stuff happen. People mispronounce things. Who cares? Move on with your lives. Because there are important things happening, and when we spend time on all those little things like they really matter, the effectiveness of our voice is diminished because we started majoring on a minor instead of majoring on the major. When we come back, I got a lot of stuff I want to do, including some good news about a professor who won a, a court case. Uh, we'll talk about an upcoming tax plan. Lester Holt from NBC said something kind of outlandish. We'll do that and a lot more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Act show. not so much time to do it in. You know, if we do run out of time on WHRT, his radio talk, 91.9 and 89.7. If you're on the radio side and we run out of time, go find the Court Act Show wherever you find podcasts because over uh, with the podcast, folks, I might have some bonus content today because there's a lot I do want to cover. Let's get started. There was a professor up in the North who got in some trouble regarding a transgender student. Let me give you the facts of the case. This professor tends to call his students... Mr. or Miss whatever. It's actually a, a really common 
Uh, it's, it's common for me. I do that with people I know that are very, I'm very tight with. I do that at work. People I've known for years now, I call them Miss or Mr. and then their last name. Almost just stylistically, I just think it's fun. Uh, and so that's something I do. And that's what this professor does. This, this professor then had his first ever transgender student, and that student wanted to be called Miss instead of Mr. because it was a biological male who identified as a female. And this professor, who is part of the Presbyterian USA Church, one of the strong denominations in the country, felt that that violated his conscience, and I think it does, and so he, he wouldn't do it. There was a compromise offered by the university where he just said, call everybody by their last name. Don't use the Mr. or Mr., just everyone is a last name. And the professor said, well, I don't want to do that. It's stylistically. I've always done that. But I'm willing to call this student by the student's last name. And the student said, that's not good enough. That you, you will call me the miss or mister that I want, in this case, the miss. And so then a, a lawsuit ensued, and that professor won. He gets to have the right to his conscience, the right to his speech. I'm sure it will be appealed one more time, but it, I think it was out of the fifth, fifth or sixth circuit here that that professor won, and that's good news. Which brings me just to a quick point on this that I've thought about. When it comes to the transgender person, and the naming and the pronoun thing. Here's where I land. Names are subjective. You don't get to choose your name. Your parents choose it for you. And so if transgender person who was, was born one, one sex and is now identifying as another, I will call that person by the name they prefer because their name belongs to them and they can decide their name the same way that, uh, heck, there's a guy even in my own office who has two names. Neither one of them is Chip but he likes to be called Chip, I call him Chip. So that's fine with me. You can have whatever name you, name you want. Pronouns, though, don't belong to you. Pronouns belong to the language. Language is not subjective. Language is objective. Words have definitions. And so I have to objectively use gendered language properly. Your name isn't gendered. Pronouns are. Your name belongs to you pronouns belong to all of us. And so I've got to use them inside the rules of the language. And that's my distinction. So the good news for that professor, and I wanted to share it with you. Next, I want to share with you some audio from Loudoun County Schools. I think that's, yes, Northern Virginia. So basically DC. Uh, There is, uh, it's like a Zoom class that you know. There is on the screen a picture of a white redheaded girl. She is leaned, her back is leaned up against a African-American girl, a black girl. And there is a professor asking a student about what he sees on the screen. I think this is, this is instructive about where we are culturally in the moment. So let's listen in to a Zoom class from Loudoun County, Virginia. The story behind this picture, um, I'd rather hold on to that. Just tell me, tell me what, what this seems to be a picture of. It's just two people chilling. Right, just two people. That's nothing more to this picture? Nah, not really. Just two people chilling. I don't believe that you believe that. Um, I don't believe that you look at this as just two people. Um, I don't think truly you truly is just two people, just though, people. is it not? Yeah, but I think you're being, I think you're being, um, I think you're being intentionally coy about what this is a picture of. <laughs> what would I be being coy about? It's two people standing back to back in a picture. 
Yeah, and that's all you see is two people. I, I'm I'm confused on what you would like me to to speak on. I don't, on in that I don't sense. think you are. I don't know why you do this. Um, I'm not trying to call you out, but you could you 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 know you come out off of mute to talk about what this is a picture of, and you act as if as if you know there's nothing noticeable about this apart from the fact that two people. Well, I'm confused. Are you trying to get me to say that there are two different races in this picture? Yes, is that I what you want me to, to say? That. There we go. And I could continue on with the audio, but this is something that we should be aware of. We, we've, we have moved culturally from what our stated goal was. The, this goes along with something I heard on a, on a Sesame Street thing here really quickly. Uh, excuse me, really recently. Sesame Street's introducing two black characters, black puppets. And in the introduction of these, one of them says, what makes me up, what makes me, is my, and he starts naming physical features. And you're going to have to give some of us who grew up on a different world some time to adjust. We were told it's what it's what's on the inside that counts. We were told by Martin Luther King Jr. that there would be a dream that, that one day people would, well, there are lots of dreams in that speech, but one of them is that you would be judged by the content of your character and not the color of your skin. And now as wokeism has taken over, and it has taken over the schools, we are literally getting the opposite. The point now is, what matters is what's on the outside. That is the key to who you are. Hey, maybe there's some balance in there we could strike. Maybe both things matter, because who you are on the outside does affect how you experience the world, and it also matters who you are on the inside. But this kid, while being a contrarian, he knows what's happening. He's being taught what matters is your ethnicity, and he wants something else to matter. Actually, I like this kid, even though he's a little contrarian for my taste, to, to, bring, to bring that up. And so that's out there happening in the schools. The kid got into a little bit of trouble for that. Not much, but in any event, uh, that's happening in, in your school system. So parents, as you are monitoring the curriculum of your schools, it's, it's worth knowing that's one of the things happening out there. This kid just says, yeah, I see two people chilling. And the school system says, we demand that you don't see that. We demand that you do not just see two people hanging out. You need to see that they are two different ethnicities. I, again, the way, the way I understood it, as I, we were hoping to move to a world where we could have less and less of that, but we're moving back to a world where it needs to matter a lot. You know, I'm, I mentioned that here recently too. We moved in a world from the left where they were telling us tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. That's what we want. But have you noticed that the coexist sticker is going, it's just kind of gone. Because there's an ideology here that does not want to coexist. They want to make you comply. You must assimilate to the Borg. That's a Star Trek reference. You must assimilate. And so it's not tolerance anymore. It's assimilate as the value. And that's being taught in this Loudoun County school. So parents, be aware of what's going on in your schools. Next, I pulled some audio here from, yeah, I can't remember this, this woman's name, she was on an ABC News show talking about the George Floyd case, and I think saying the exact wrong thing that we need. I have some more thoughts about, I'll give you the, the thoughts up front. I am getting more and more convinced that we're going to get a conviction of Derek Chauvin. For a while, I was nervous he would not be convicted because he is not technically guilty of murder. He did not, he doesn't meet the definition of those words. But I think what he did was wrong and contributed to 
the death of George Floyd. And so he has to be convicted of something because he wasn't just a passive... He, he, what he did was wrong. And he, he has to be punished for how he handled that. Uh, and so because the, the way the trial is going, as I've seen it, and because of adding additional charges so that the jury has a menu to choose from, I think we're going to get a conviction for Chauvin, and I think that's a good thing. But the way that this woman has talked about the case, I think is the exact wrong thing. And so I want to play it for you and then correct it. And if I see her name on the screen, I will give it to you. Here we go. This case is so much bigger than what happened 10 months ago in the corner of... Real quick. Her name is Lindsay Davis. 38th in Chicago in Minneapolis. On its face, Derek Chauvin is on trial for sure. But for many Americans, this nation is on trial. Our criminal justice system is on trial. And for many, especially black people, um, this is about black and white. This is about justice for people who aren't specifically involved in this case. This is about justice for Eric Gardner and uh, Breonna Taylor and Daniel Prude and on and on and on the countless black people who have been killed by police in this country with very little repercussions or, or, or punishment. And I think that that's what makes it interesting when you look at the context, the backdrop of what also was happening in this country on May 25th of 2020 in New York City, Central Park. It's the same day that a white woman called the police on a black man who was bird -wise. I can I gotta move on, but the the point here, whether it's true or not, that is the the exact wrong thing. It's one of the things that can hurt a criminal justice system. This trial does need to be about Derek Chauvin and George Floyd, Derek Chauvin and George Floyd. There, those other cases matter. Those other cases need adjudication. Those other cases need justice. But it's so important to not do what she just did. She said. America is on trial. This one event, these 10 minutes or so uh, in this one city, on this one street corner, America is on trial. This one judge, these prosecutors, these defense attorneys, these 14, I think, jurors, because there's alternates, these are a picture of America. Oh, man. Bring that temperature down. You're putting too much on this one case. This case matters. All those cases matter. But it is unhealthy thinking, unhelpful thinking to extend this one trial to, uh, to, to, the, to the entire country. Next up, let's go with the Lester Holt story. Uh, yeah, we'll do that one. Uh, Lester Holt recently won a award, uh, Edwin R. Murrow Award, big broadcasting award, well, big journalism award. So let me play for you something he said that got some attention, and then we will respond. This is Lester Holt of NBC. Number one is I think it's become clearer that fairness is overrated. Well, before you run off and tweet that headline, let me explain a bit. The idea that we should always give two sides equal weight and merit does not reflect the world we find ourselves in. That the sun sets in the West is a fact. Any contrary view does not deserve our time or attention. Now, I know recent events assure that you won't have to look far to find more current and relevant examples. I think you get my point. Decisions to not give unsupported arguments equal time are not a dereliction of journalistic responsibility or some kind of agenda. In fact, it's just the opposite. Providing an open platform for misinformation, for anyone to come say whatever they want, especially when issues of public health and safety are at stake, can be quite dangerous. Our duty is to be fair to the truth. Holding those in power accountable is at the core of our function and responsibility. 
We need to hear our leaders' views, their policies and reasoning. It's really important. But we have to stand ready to push back and call out falsehoods. Lester Holt has the best voice on television. Like, I wish I sounded like that. Sheesh, that guy sounds right. Uh, right, so his point there. Fairness, overrated. I get what he's saying. That we're, we're after the truth. And there are some people that say such outlandish things, you don't have to listen to them. I even believe that. I think a lot of conspiracy people are not worth listening to. It's worth at least maybe hearing their first point, uh, their first argument, but after they've made their argument and it's insane, you can go, all right, moving on. The issue there is where a media that is controlled by leftism, where they draw the line. For, for example, I go back to that story from that professor, and I just say, biological people with the reproductive organs that have been historically uh, associated with men are men. Well, do you guys draw the line now? Am I, I shouldn't be interacted with because you guys decided literally less than a couple years ago that it's not true? That's an interesting thing from him. I sort of agree with. The problem there is where the journalists draw that line. And I don't think they're going to draw it in any place favorable to uh, people who believe like I do. I think we may only have time for one more and I might do some bonus content. I'm going to give you this one because I think, just because I think it's funny, really. Um, the woke have eaten their own to this extent. I'm going to play for you audio from a local ABC affiliate in Chicago. They're trying to rename a school that's currently named for Thomas Jefferson because Thomas Jefferson is, quote, problematic. And you will be surprised at who these left-wingers do not want their school to be named after in Chicago. Here you go. Those against the Obamas, as a name choice, say the former president failed to deliver on promises to the immigrant population. Tonight, Waukegan's Board of Education heard concerns from the public over one of the finalists in the running to be the new name for Thomas Jefferson Middle School. I want to urge the school board to drop the names of Barack and Michelle Obama from consideration. I personally um, don't object to the name, but I have to be aware of the concerns. The country's first black president and first lady Barack and Michelle Obama is one of the top three choices for the school's new name, but one that's drawing opposition in the area with a large Latinx population. We feel that Barack Obama disserviced us. He denied us and he didn't stop the deportations the way he promised. Members of the area's Latinx community held a protest outside the meeting's doors. If you're removing the name of Thomas Jefferson, one oppressor, the name of Obama is another oppressor, and our families do not want to see that name. Mauricio Sanchez's father was deported in 2015. Okay, I'm running out of time, so i got to cut that off. They actually have signs that call Barack Obama the deporter-in-chief. I, I said this recently to somebody in a personal conversation. can't remember who. I said, I actually do wonder how long it is before Obama is canceled for a couple of reasons. One, it is true. He actually deported more people than any president has ever. He didn't deport. His Department of Homeland Security, their system of deportations, deported more people than anyone else. That's all true. That's one. Two, when he took office, January 20th, 2009, he was still for traditional marriage. He ran that campaign saying he was against gay marriage. Just think about that for a second. 12, 13 years ago, 13 years ago, the most liberal person who had ever been president, still, right now, still the most left-winger, well, maybe Woodrow Wilson, that's ever been president, 
was against gay marriage. That's how fast things have moved. The next, the next president was a Republican who was for gay marriage. Donald Trump was a pro-gay marriage candidate. That's Man, that blows my mind how fast it is. But yeah, Barack Obama getting canceled, one, because of deportations, two, because he didn't know for all of time that gay marriage was supposed to be a thing. And then the, the third one is after his, after his uh, leaving office, he did some speeches at colleges where he said stuff that sounded like me. We don't want to kick people off campus because they don't think like you. You should listen to other voices. Don't protest all the speakers. I, I don't know. I, I don't know that he doesn't end up getting thrown out of the wokest cult because he wasn't woke enough. Now, generally, again, liberalism and leftism will accept him. But that's almost jarring to hear that there are, there are folks in Chicago where Barack Obama did a lot of his early his early political stuff saying, don't name a school after him because he is an offense to us. So I had to play that for you because I find it interesting. Uh, radio folks, I am going to do a little bit of bonus content regarding uh, a tax plan that has been come out from the White House. I want to talk about that some. I also want to finish saying this. Definitely recognizing that today is highly political in nature, uh, highly news in nature. And th- my show, guys, it switches constantly. I mean, we, the last two shows, we had stuff from Palm Sunday and Easter. Uh, we used spiritual, biblical thoughts. I, I told you at the beginning of this, one of our goals was to give the truth, bring temperature down. These are biblical worldview concepts that we don't want to be people that are cantankerous. We want to be peacemakers. Uh, we want to uh, live peaceably with those around us. I think uh, what Thessalonians, I think it is, says, uh, as far as it concerns you, live peaceably among all men, that we might live a, uh, a quiet and peaceable life. There, there's... There's some biblical stuff here, but I do want to always uh, just say it out loud. You know, we did a lot of politics today, and that's okay. We'll come back next week and do some do some of the other things that make up a culture. Podcasters, stick around. Radio folks, you can find The Corey Truax Show wherever you find podcasts and get this last little bit of bonus content. I'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love. Hi, podcasters. Thanks for sticking around. I want to just get this off the prep sheet so I can forget about it. This is audio. I'm about to play you from Joe Biden talking about upcoming tax plan. We'll get into some of the things I really do love, which is economic policy. Here you go. This is President Joe Biden. No one making under $400,000 will see their federal taxes go up, period. This is not about penalizing anyone. I have nothing against millionaires and billionaires. I believe American American capitalism. I want everyone to do well. But here's the deal. Right now, a middle-class couple, a firefighter and a teacher, with two kids making a combined salary of, say, $110,000, $120,000 a year, pays 22 cents for each additional dollar they earn in federal income tax. But a multinational corporation that builds a factory abroad brings it home and sells, they pay nothing at all. So, real quick. First, it's nice to hear him say, I believe in American capitalism. Thanks, man. That's a, the, the force in human history that has led the most folks out of poverty. It's been the best force for wealth creation and bringing people out of nothing. And so it's, it's good to hear anyone in leadership say that, especially in a, a, the party that he's ahead of is not a capitalist party. They hate capitalism. They're a socialist group. And so hearing him say that, encouraged. Two, the, the divide between 
personal and corporate taxation. There's some things I think folks on the left miss. When you tax a corporation, the corporation ultimately, I'm sure, pays some of the tax, but it becomes a piece of their overhead. So they're paying overhead for property. They got to have their building. They pay their overhead for their inventory. Maybe they're paying overhead for their equipment, their internet services. They're paying overhead for human resources, people that work there. And just one of the things on their balance sheet is taxes. These are the taxes that we owe. And so when corporations see that our tax bill is going up, the same way that if they were renting property and their rent goes up, our overhead went up on rent. How are we going to make up for that? Well, there's only only ever two ways to make up for it. You can cut something you're currently spending or bring in more revenue. One way you do that is raise prices. And if all the corporations are getting the same tax code, then they don't have to be uh, they don't have to worry about competition. So they can all raise their prices on whatever it is knowing well my competitor has to raise his prices too. There's no other way around this. And so what ends up happening with corporate taxation is that we pay it. We being the consumer. When you raise taxes on Amazon, Okay, you can raise taxes on Amazon. It just means that we, the people that buy from Amazon, will all pay a little more, not a ton more, and then Amazon will use us to pay their taxes for them because that's how prices work. There is this idea that on leftism, I think that's mostly their, mostly leftist economics are just fairy tales. It's unicorns. It's none, none of it makes any practical sense. And this is one of them. That just, we can just tax corporations. We can tax them for everything they got, and it won't affect anybody because they're just corporations. They're not people. But who makes up a corporation? People do. You know, that's another way they can do it. They say, uh, all right, our taxes are going up. How do we pay for these taxes? Well, we can raise prices, or the next round of raises that were going to be 5% for our employees, those can be 3% now so that we can keep that savings and then pay those taxes. There's always consequence to policy action. And it doesn't feel like the folks on the left quite get that. And so there, there you go. Um, I, I suspect there will be some kind of tax increase in the next two years that technically only affect the rich or corporations, but it will affect all of us. The, we, we, we're seeing that a little right now in gas prices. I wish people would freak out a little less about gas prices. But there's consequences to actions. When you make it harder for oil, not just exploration, but when you make it anything harder for oil companies, raise their costs, they don't just lose the money. The prices go up for us. And then we pay into the corporation. The corporation then pays to to defer, not defer, but to deter the, the, the new cost that has been foisted upon them. So... There you go. There's that last economic thought. There's something in me, now that I'm only with the podcast group, I can slow down and say this. There is something weird when we don't do any true theology on an episode. It doesn't feel right. Like, my, my show's not supposed to be a political show. It does some politics, but I much prefer all the other stuff in the world, and maybe I should consider that. Like, there are the there are the things that make up cultures. 
And that's where I think I'd rather spend time. Like, education policy makes up culture. What's happening in the church makes up culture. What happens in arts and entertainment makes up culture. And so, uh, and, and then also politics and government. And it's just government gets an outsized, government gets an outsized portion of what makes up our culture sometimes and this show sometimes. But like even today, you talk about education with that story out of Loudoun County. There's economics here with the Joe Biden thing. The, the arts entertainment thing is probably the, our most powerful cultural maker. And I have not told you a thing about thoughts on the, uh, whatever that guy's name is, uh, that did the Satan shoes. I don't remember his name because he's not important. But that guy, uh, that, that made up culture for a minute. And then everyone moved on. So I, that's the kind of stuff I, I definitely want to get back to. And again, religion, our faith makes up the culture. Government doesn't make up a ton of it. We just did more government today than I'm used to, in part because there was that big Georgia case, and I, I wanted to dig into it. All right, let's call it. Uh, I, I will be back, guys, next week with more new content for you. Thanks for listening to the Corey Act Show. Until next time, everybody, peace and love.